You're going to love this. Just love it. Yes, you will. Yes. Yes, you will. Just in time. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast live, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM San Diego, 99.5 FM Ridgecrest and China Lake, 91, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast. And coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. On iTunes, streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, hello Nicole, Radio Free Brooklyn, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com here with you for another action-packed, thrilling adventure that we call the Bradcast, which is the Mount McKinley of radio programs. So we're glad you could join us today. Uh, A lot ahead, including because we are uh, live today in the uh, beautiful Pacifica Radio Studios at KPFK, I'm going to try and try... To crack open the phone lines. Uh, so if you want to get in line, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. Come hell or high water. I want to hear from at least a few of you because we've had a busy week and it's difficult to get through. Uh, but uh, seeing as how this is uh, California, it's probably going to be hell, not high water. That's just a guess. Um, A great tweet uh, late last night uh, that I loved uh, was this. My life has changed in a great way. I now listen to the Brad Blog's Bradcast with Brad and Desi five days a week. With those uh, those two, more is better. Isn't that nice, uh, Desi? Did you see that? uh, Isn't that sweet? Uh, And here's the best part about it. It uh, the person who tweeted it, their Twitter name, uh, whoever they are, and I don't know who they are, but their Twitter name is Corporations Ate My Baby. (laughs) I like that one. So I like that. uh, I like that a lot. And yes, we are heard five days a week. Uh, KPFK listeners, if you don't hear us for any reason, you can always go to the archives, kpfk.org, and listen to all of our programs. Had some pretty amazing ones, in fact, over the past week. And if we have time ahead, uh, we'll try to play a few uh, clips from them, including the uh, some some really well, some really interesting and disturbing interviews. The kind of interviews that make you go. Um, well, WTF, that's all I can say, uh, including with statistician Beth Clarkson from Wichita University, uh, who says she has found a, uh, a pattern, a statistical pattern in the vote, in the voting machines, in the voting systems. 
in Kansas suggesting that the voting machines are being manipulated. And to uh, find out whether she's right about that, she has uh, filed a lawsuit, an open records request, to try to get to some of the paper trail records that we're supposed to be able to examine after elections, if there are any questions about those elections, and she's being blocked from doing so. By Secretary of State Chris Kobach, my good friend out there, and uh, and and county clerks. And uh, so we are following that closely. But that interview was really interesting, really fascinating. I have some concerns about her uh, her her statistical uh, theories here. Uh, based on the data that she has been able to glean. But anyway, you can hear all about that uh, if you go to either bradblog.com or kpfk.org to listen to that. Maybe, as I said, we'll have some clips ahead in this show if we have some time. Uh, also, my interview yesterday on uh, on our program with Joe Dunman, the uh, attorney representing the couples who are suing the Rowan County, Kentucky clerk, Kim Davis, who is one of the last holdouts against marriage equality in this nation. She is refusing to issue marriage licenses to couples both gay and straight in Rowan County, Kentucky, despite being ordered by all pretty all the federal courts, including the Supreme Court, to do so. Uh, that's a fascinating story that we have been watching. The interview with the uh, with the attorney representing those couples uh, suing her at this point, uh, now asking the uh, the federal court to hold her in contempt. Uh, another really fascinating interview. He was really helpful in in understanding that story. So maybe some of that ahead. Uh, also ahead, of course, for sure, the uh, Green News Report with uh, Desi Doyen will be joining us as uh, President Obama is making his case for climate action up in the melting Arctic. And as 2015 uh, hurricane season is into crazy record-breaking territory already this year. Also, some huge news for electric cars and the right-wingers who are going apoplectic over the renaming of the nation's tallest mountain. Uh, so all of that is ahead. Today, U.S. Senator Barbara Mikulski, Democratic, uh, Democrat from Maryland, announced that she was on board with the Iran deal today. And this means that Democrats in the Senate now have the minimum 34 votes that they will need to avoid an override of a presidential veto of legislation that Congress might pass later this month to reject the Iran uh, deal, the deal to keep Iran from developing nuclear weapons, the deal that was struck between Iran, the U.S., Russia, China, Germany, the U.K., and France, and that a whole bunch of people are lying about. And I'd love to say it's Republicans lying about this. Mostly it is Republicans lying about it, but there are some Democrats uh, who are completely misrepresenting this deal? It's disgusting. It's appalling. I've tried to uh, I've tried to invite a few of them on this program to explain what it is I'm missing about this uh, this Iran deal. But so far, uh, none of those uh, Congress members have taken me up. But I think it's good that uh, this uh, deal will now go through unless there's uh, some sort of a change. 
because there is, as I said, so much disinformation about it. And the people who are buying the uh, misinformation are uh, not just uh, Democrat, not just Republicans, but also Democrats, but more so Republicans. And a really interesting uh, new poll from Huffington Post and YouGov this week. They randomly assigned one half of the 1,000 Americans they surveyed for this poll to say whether they agreed with positions that were held by Donald Trump. So randomly, half of those 1,000 Americans surveyed, that would be 500 surveyed, uh, they were asked whether they agreed with positions held by Donald Trump. And the rest were asked whether they agreed with positions held by Barack Obama or Secretary of State, uh, John Kerry or uh, uh, Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. The trick in this poll is that both of the positions were actually the same. So these were cases where Donald Trump had the same opinion, the same position as either President Obama or Secretary of State John Kerry or uh, or Hillary Clinton. So, for example, um, both uh, well, all of these people, a thousand of them were asked the same question, but it was termed a different way. So in one case, uh, John Kerry is opposed to ripping up the deal to put limits on the Iran nuclear program and instead argues that it must be strictly enforced. Do you agree or disagree with John Kerry about the Iran deal? Well, Democrats wildly uh, agreed to that question. Uh, more than 50 percent agreed with John Kerry's position and less than 20 percent agreed Less than 20 percent of Republicans agreed with John Kerry's position. However, when they asked the exact same question, Donald Trump is opposed to ripping up the deal to put limits on Iran's nuclear program and instead argues it must be strictly enforced. Do you agree or disagree with Donald Trump about the Iran deal? You had almost an identical number of Democrats saying, yes, I agree with Donald Trump. And. You had an almost identical number of Republicans saying, yes, I agree with Donald Trump. Same question, except in one case it was Donald Trump supporting the exact same thing. The other, it was John Kerry supporting the exact same thing. And when it was John Kerry, Republicans are totally against it. And they went through and they did this in question after question, and you saw a same pattern in almost every one of them. If it was Donald Trump who supported it, the Republicans favored it. If it was Barack Obama supporting the exact same position, the Republicans were totally against it. Uh, so in any event, looks like the Iran deal is going to go through. That's good, given the amount of misinformation out there. I am happy to see that. All right. Um, but if you want to talk about it, if you want to explain to me, since I can't seem to get any congressman to come on here and tell me why the Iran deal is a bad deal, even the Congress members who are on record saying they will vote against it. They'll vote against it. They just won't tell anybody why they're against it. Uh, if you'd like to uh, educate me a little bit, my phone number is 818-985-5735. Okay, there has been much talk about the Republican presidential debates this year uh, and the difficulty of wrangling a 17-candidate uh, field. Uh, and the way that Fox News and now CNN are arbitrarily cutting off the number of candidates that appear in their primetime debates and thus have uh, much of any chance of winning over the electorate if they're not in those primetime debates. Last night, a change to the qualifying criteria was announced by, uh, by CNN, 
who is holding the next Republican debate. And that uh, change is seen as a way to assure that failed California businesswoman Carly Fiorina will appear on stage in CNN's primetime Republican debate, which is scheduled for September 16th. So there's a lot of talk about those Republican debates and the criteria for them. But what about the Democratic debates? And where the hell are they? And when do when the hell do they start? The first one is not scheduled until October 13, and the DNC recently announced there would be just four, four debates total before the first votes are cast in Iowa and New Hampshire next year. I think there'll be uh, just six official debates scheduled in total. Over the weekend at the DNC's summer meeting in Minneapolis, 2016 Democratic presidential candidate Martin O'Malley excoriated the party's debate plans in his remarks uh, to party delegates there, he charismatically rebutted a lot of GOP policy positions, such that the GOP actually has any real policy positions at this point. He touted his own record, of course, as former mayor of Baltimore and governor of Maryland, while interspersing the critique of Republicans with a fiery critique of his own party's plan to limit debates. Here are a few of Martin O'Malley's remarks, an extended excerpt from the DNC summer meeting over the past weekend in Minneapolis on what Martin O'Malley describes as a rigged process of debates to nominate the Democratic Party's 2016 standard bearer. I, for one, will not remain silent in the face of the lies, the distortions and the racist hate being pumped out over the airwaves from the debate podiums of the once proud Republican Party. But here is the sad truth that we must own. While the Republicans put their backward ideas forward before an audience of more than 20 million Americans, we put our forward-thinking ideas on the back burner as if we're trying to hide them from the airwaves. Think about it. The Republicans stand before the nation. They, they malign our president's record of achievements. They denigrate women and immigrant families. They double down on trickle down and they tell their false story. And we respond with crickets, tumbleweeds, a cynical move to delay and limit our own party debates. Four debates. Four debates. Four debates. Four debates and four debates only, we are told, not asked before voters in our earliest states make their decision. This is totally unprecedented in our party's history. This sort of rigged process has never been attempted before. Whose decree is this exactly? Where did it come from? To what end? For what purpose? What national or party interest does this decree serve? How does this help us tell the story of the last eight years of democratic progress? How does this help us make our case to the American people? One debate in Iowa? That's it? One debate in New Hampshire? That's all we can afford? And get this. The New Hampshire debate is cynically wedged into the high point of holiday shopping season so as few people watch it as possible. Is this how the Democratic Party selects its nominee? Or are we becoming something less, something else? 
Whatever happened to the tradition of open debates and a 50-state strategy? We must stand before the American people and show them that we have a better way. Will we let the circus run unchallenged on every channel as we cower in the shadows under a decree of silence in the ranks? Or will we demand equal time to showcase our ideas, our solutions to America's challenges, and real leadership for real results? <laughs> We must make our case and we must let the people decide. The time is now to put these ideas and all of the best ideas of all of our fine candidates forward before the American people. The American people deserve it. Our service to the cause of our country's better future demands it. We are the Democratic Party, not the undemocratic party. If we are to debate debates, the topic should be how many, not how few. So let us engage this debate. Let us make our case to the American people. And together, we will rebuild the truth of the American dream we share. Thank you very much. May God bless America. And may God bless our Democratic Party. That was 2016 Democratic presidential candidate Martin O'Malley over the weekend decrying the rigged process, as he described it, of the uh, DNC's uh, debate system coming up this year. 2016 Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders, who's now leading in New Hampshire and within striking distance, just seven points of the so-called Democratic frontrunner in Ohio, uh, and I'm sorry, in Iowa, according to a new PPP poll this week, Bernie Sanders later appeared following O'Malley's comments uh, with Jake Tapper on CNN, and he was asked about the criticism of the party's debate plans. Governor Martin O'Malley tore into the Democratic National Committee on Friday, as you know, accusing the party of rigging the debate process to favor Hillary Clinton. Do you agree with Governor O'Malley? I think rigging is a strong word. I think that at a time when so many of our people have given up on the political process, when 80% of young people did not vote in the last election, 63% of all Americans did not vote, I think debates are a good thing. I love debates. I've done it all my life. So I would like to see more debates. I would like to see groups representing working people have a debate to talk about why the rich get richer and everybody else gets poorer. I think environmentalists deserve a debate so we can talk about how we move aggressively to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel. I think young people deserve a debate in terms of my idea and other ideas about how we make college education in this country, in public colleges and universities, tuition free, how we deal with student debt, right, but how we deal with tax but reform Senator in this Sanders, country, the, the making DNC, the rich pay their... Yeah. The DNC, as you know, is saying that if you or Governor O'Malley participate in any non-sanctioned debate, then no. you don't get to participate in the official ones. They are restricting the number and of I debates. Think, and I think that that is dead wrong, and I have let uh, the leadership of the Democrats know that. Again, I think this country benefits, all people benefits, democracy benefits when we have debates, and I want to see more of them. 
Well, uh, that was Bernie Sanders. He says he's let the uh, Democratic leadership know that it's unacceptable only for debates. Uh, one of them, the one that uh, Martin O'Malley mentioned uh, in the holiday season, it's actually on a Saturday. It's something like December 19 on a Saturday uh, evening. Uh, well, at bradblog.com this week, our own legal analyst and uh, and it should be said, an ardent Bernie Sanders supporter, I believe, based on his uh, his writings at bradblog.com, Ernest A. Canning, he wrote about the DNC's plans and O'Malley, O'Malley's concerns about them. He joins us now to discuss those concerns. Ernie Canning, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. How you doing, Brad? I'm doing okay, and I should say, by the way, if you'd like to get in on this conversation, 818-985-5735 is the uh, Democratic Party rigging the debate process in favor of Hillary Clinton. Okay, Ernie, so uh, what what did the Dems uh, plan to do here, and, and, and why do you, O'Malley, and Bernie Sanders seem to have a problem with it? I haven't heard Hillary Clinton complaining, Ernie. Well, Hillary Clinton is probably best off uh, not having more debates. But, um, it, you know, my concerns are more uh, not not just for what um, O'Malley is saying about the, you know, the Democrats' chances mm-hmm. being hurt by this, but um, more from a standpoint of democracy itself. Um, it was one of the writers I quoted that, that what we're really talking about is an impediment of voters' right to access information that will allow them to vote uh, on the candidates who best meet their needs. And, you know, if, if what we're having out of the Democratic Party is nothing but silence, and of course the corporate media is not going to cover anything from the Green Party. So, um, you know, it's like everything that's being said by the Republicans. Uh, one thing you didn't include in the clip was a part where O'Malley said that uh, uh, they had an audience of 20 million people and we didn't get anybody, you know, we got no response. Uh, uh, on the uh, 20, million, 20 million people watching that Republican debate, actually, I think it might have been 24 million or something. Uh, and you're right. There was no response. 20 million Americans watched the Republican Party for good or bad. And uh, the, the Democratic Party has uh, apparently no such thing. Well, from what I understand, uh, Deborah Wasserman Schultz, who was a former uh, Clinton um, campaign co-chair in 2008 Mm -hmm. um, and is now the chair, that the decision on debates rests principally with her. And it was her decision uh, not to cut the debates. If it was limited to just the debates, I'd be disturbed. But as I indicated in my article, there are several other things that have occurred that that I find equally disturbing. And, and, and yeah, and let's and let's talk about a couple of those. And and for those who don't know, uh, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Congresswoman woman from Florida, also the chair of the DNC. All right, you you talk about uh, some of the other concerns you have. You write about. Shades of 1968. You say that while uh, other, uh, while the evidence generally supports O'Malley's uh, allegation of a rigged process, that he is wrong in suggesting that what is going on here is unprecedented. Explain. Well, in 1968, uh, although in that at that time um, there were only ten states that held primaries. But in 1968, uh, of course, we had it complicated by by uh, the death of uh, the assassination of Robert Kennedy. But um, the people who won primaries had it, it was almost irrelevant because you had the in a maneuver uh, led by uh, Chicago Mayor Richard Daley at the uh, Democratic National Convention, 
to select Hubert Humphrey. And this was at a time, if you recall, the major issue before the country at that time was the Vietnam War. And uh, he, uh, Humphrey was the vice president at a, t- at a time when uh, the Johnson administration was primarily being blamed for that war. You had riots outside the, the convention, with, well, even before the riots were e- extensive uh, protests. And, uh, uh, and, and you had a lot of division within the party, and uh, it left the bad taste in everybody's mouth that, that, that they maneuvered backdoor to, uh, to get, this, uh, uh, get this, this nomination. And, uh, and one historian points out that, that uh, at, at the time, the media coverage of, of, uh, of the riots so overshadowed Humphrey's nomination speech and that basically they created such a huge rift in the Democratic Party that it hurt, uh, it helped Richard Nixon get elected, and Nixon probably would not have been elected if it had not been for that rift. And do you foresee I, a similar rift here, uh, growing in the Democratic Party uh, based on lack of debates? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been reading a number of articles about, you know, those people you hear cheering, a number of them are state chairs who are were totally... Uh, uh, against uh, this limitation of the debates and against several other things, but the larger thing is not simply the party; it's the it's the electorate at large. You know, you had the large swath of disaffected people it, it, because of Vietnam back in 1968. What we have now is a more the profound wealth disparity in related issues uh, such as uh, Obama and Clinton's uh, Wall Street uh, connections, uh, unfair trade policies uh, that benefit the wealthy few. And during the Obama presidency, 90% of all new wealth has flowed to the top 1%. You see the disaffection that you have within the society in the Occupy movement, which was was you know in 1968 it was suppressed by uh, uh, the Chicago PD under direction of Daley, uh, uh, which mm-hmm. was essentially later described as a peace, uh, police riot. And here in our Occupy movement, you saw a brutal suppression uh, with coordinated efforts by militarized uh, local police on, under the guidance of, uh, of federal police during the Obama administration. So you've got that similarity there. The uh, uh, the fact that it, one of the issues that, that is critical here and why I think it, the Democrats are shooting themselves in the foot is that uh, uh, you've got, uh, in fact, uh, uh, John Nichols just uh, published a new, new article where he talked about what, what Bernie's theme in going before the wasn't his usual thing where he's, he's just talking to the people. He's, he was talking to the people in the party and trying to point out that we, the, the, the Democrats, uh, the Republicans didn't win the, the midterm. The Democrats lost, and because there is this uh, apathy towards a uh, large apathy towards uh, uh, establishment politics, and uh, yeah, the, uh, Bernie pointed out that uh, 63% of the voters didn't turn out to vote in the last election. And his core point, the point that uh, Nichols is making, is that. Uh, he was trying to convince the party personnel who try and get people elected that if you continue uh, the same old uh, establishment politics this time around, mm-hmm. and particularly if – see, my big concern here is uh, – and, and, of course, we don't know. You know we've got a long way to go, but w- with the way the trends are going, it is distinctly possible that – that uh, uh, Bernie Sanders could win a majority of pledged delegates, but because we have these um, 
the super delegates, super delegates yeah that that it could be quite possible that Hillary Clinton would win. One of the things that's happened... And so let me, let, me, let, me, let me just explain, and because uh, your phone's breaking up there a little bit, uh, Ernie, so I might have to let you go, but uh, just to explain, this superdelegate process, you write about it, you call it uh, a completely undemocratic uh, process, and these superdelegates are, of course, uh, they came up back in the 2008 election as well. Um, these superdelegates are, are not voted on. They don't really represent anybody. They are party apparatchik. They are former, uh, current and former governors and presidents, uh, you know, party leaders. Uh, and uh, so far, Hillary, uh, over the weekend at the DNC winter uh, summer meeting, was bragging that she's already locked up one-fifth of those superdelegates. So it doesn't really matter how the people vote in the primaries and in the caucuses. As you suggest, uh, Ernie, Bernie Sanders could, in fact, win a majority of the uh, the delegates that are up for grabs at the ballot box, but then they show up at the at the Democratic National Convention, and she's got the superdelegates locked up. So it does underscore the anti-democratic nature, uh, unfortunately, of the Democratic Party. And my question to you, Brad, is what do you think is going to happen amongst those many of the 63% uh, who probably would not vote but for the fact that they're having a candidate like uh, Bernie Sanders attract them or a Martin O'Malley? And if they come away from the convention concluding that this nomination was stolen by the establishment, How's that going to impact Democrats in November of 2016, and how's it going to impact our democracy? Uh, I will leave that question to uh, listeners and readers to decide. You can check out Ernest A. Canning's article, Martin O'Malley Slams DNC Effort to Rig Party's 2016 Presidential Nomination Process. Uh, that is over at bradblog.com. Thanks for bringing this up. I know uh, people want to talk about it on the phones here, so... Uh, I'm going to take a quick break and come back to some of those calls. Ernie, uh, thank you as ever, and thank you for staying on the uh, Texas photo ID issue. Uh, I know you're going to have more on that in the days ahead at bradblog.com. I wish we had time to get into it now, but we don't. But uh, we will do so soon. Uh, thanks, Ernie. Always great to talk to you, my friend. Great, Brad. Take care. Thank you, brother. Okay, let's take a quick break, and we will come back with your calls, 818-985-5735. Democracy under fire, even from within the Democratic Party. Go figure. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Please stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today.
Standing up at the gates of hell right here at the KPFK Pacifica Radio Studios in Los Angeles. This is Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. Welcome back to the Bradcast. About to get to your phone calls, 818-985-5735. If you'd like to ring in, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report is ahead. Uh, and I know a bunch of a bunch of folks calling in. I want to play this one clip, uh, however, from this uh, conversation I had with uh, statistician Dr. Uh, Elizabeth Clarkson from Wichita University earlier this week. She has been uh, looking at the voting machines out there, testing a theory which came up a couple of years ago, um, which was found in a whole bunch of states around the country. She looked at the results of the 2014 election in Kansas and found that in large precincts, the share of the vote for Republicans appears to go up, appears to slope up when you're looking at large precincts. And that's sort of counter to political wisdom that says uh, in in large precincts, urban precincts and so forth, there should be a higher rate of Democratic votes. Uh, She suggests Well, here's what she suggests when I asked her uh, how she explains this pattern that, in fact, she confirmed in the uh, in the state of Kansas. There have been a few theories advanced. Um, The one I find most probable is that the voting machines are being manipulated. Uh, Given, well, you just talked about how you've been reporting on the problems Mm -hmm. with these machines, their their vulnerability to issues. Mm -hmm. It seems to me a fairly high probability explanation for this particular pattern. It it fits exactly what you would expect to see if people are flipping the votes within the voting machines. Do you have any idea how this would or could happen? Are these insiders? Are these machines hacked? I, I do not have any cl- uh, any evidence mm-hmm. or or any solid uh, ideas about how it is happening, given the susceptibility and vulnerability of these machines to hacking, it could well be multiple diverse groups acting independently. But there's also the possibility the software is created. It could be uh, an insider working as as a rogue within the company and doing it without any uh, management knowledge, and it would only take one or two people in the right positions to be able to implement such a scheme. That's a, a disturbing interview with Beth Clarkson. You can check out the full interview at uh, bradblog.com or over at, um, at kpfk.org. It has gone through the roof nuts with people downloading and listening to that uh, to that interview. And what's most disturbing about it is that she wants to check her theory, check her numbers, see if there's a reason for it, and the Kansas Secretary of State is not allowing her to look at the so-called paper trails from the machines that were used to cast those votes back in 2014, begging the question of what good are these so-called paper trails if there are questions about elections, uh, the public is not allowed to even look at those. I have been railing about that for years. I'm glad to hear uh, statisticians and other professionals taking a look at it and saying, hey, what what the hell is going on here? This is crazy. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. 818-985-5735. Let's go to, um, let's go to Morris in Long Beach. Hey, Morris, welcome to the broadcast. What's up, sir? How are you feeling, Brad? First of all, the Democratic Party is the party of Wall Street. Hillary Clinton is a corporate prostitute. 
And I'm so glad you made reference to 1968, because if the Democratic Party try to, uh, try to pull that trick again in 2016, they're going to have the same result. And nobody knows voter fraud better than you, Brad, uh, other than Jimmy Carter. And so that interview that you did with the lady is very, very important. And that's why Hillary Clinton's feeling so good about herself, because they got it already set up to put her in office. But if they do try that, if they do try that, uh, they're going to have another problem. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, hey, thank you for that call, Morris. Uh, a couple of uh, qu- quick points here. Uh, one, uh, the question is not voter fraud in Kansas. The question is election fraud. The voters are doing fine. Leave them alone. And the other point I wanted to uh, make is that uh, you say that Democrats are the party of Wall Street. I would say they are a party of Wall Street. The other party of Wall Street is, of course, the Republican Party as well. Uh, so that doesn't get Democrats off the hook, but I don't want to say that, uh, you know, they are the worst of it here. The Republicans are plenty bad. Let me go to uh, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Let me go to Carlos in Carson, California. Hey, Carlos, welcome to the broadcast. What's on your mind, sir? Well, uh, listen, regarding the Iran deal, uh, the U.S. Iran deal, yeah. uh, it, it's full of smoke screens. It's very hard to tell. What's what? But for the moment, it buys us a respite from, from tensions, and it prolongs maybe the inevitable of a of a nuclear war between the parties. Carlos, what what smokescreen? Carlos, what smokescreen? Well, let, let me tell you something else here, which All is right. more important. I think both sides are really colluding to bring in a third world war. You you got the religious mullahs in Iran which control things, they're waiting for the 12th Iman. You got the, you got the United States, Britain, and Israel triumvirate who are waiting for the Messiah to come in and the rebuilding of the temple, of, uh, the third temple of Solomon. You got both sides that are itching for the war, and I think this Iran deal is going to be broken. They'll find a way to break it. Right now, they're just trying to save faith. Well, listen, they 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 can try to break it, but the difference is, right now, there's no deal at all. Right now, they can do anything they want. Right now, their centrifuges, thousands of them, uh, are are spinning, and there is uh, almost no oversight whatsoever. After the deal, there will be oversight of those centrifuges. Uh, the uh, the nuclear uh, material will be taken out. It's an unprecedented regime of oversight. So, you know, to suggest, I mean, you mentioned uh, uh, the mullahs in Iran and Israel. Those are the people who are against this deal, along with the Republican Party. And I don't know what the smokescreen is. You can go out and read the deal. Now, the Iranians can try to uh, can try to cheat on it. But right now, they don't have to cheat at all. They can do whatever they want, by and large. So it's just, uh, you know, the idea that, oh, it's so murky, we don't know what's what, that's nonsense. That's how, uh, frankly, the Republican Party defeats all kinds of things. That's how they defeat action on climate change. Well, we don't know if it's going on or not. It's so murky. We don't know. Uh, Who knows what's right and wrong? Let's do nothing. That's kind of uh, the take. Uh, that's kind of what they're trying to pull with Iran, and I think it's utter nonsense. Yeah, but but listen. Yeah. Uh, 
most people are not going to go out and read the deal, uh, the, the the actual, the actual, the the, the actual transmission, right. the actual deal. They right. don't have the time, right. so they go by what the leaders say, and the leaders are trying to confound us. Right. So that's why I'm saying it's so murky. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, who's going to go read the thing? You know, we don't have time for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I understand. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it murky, and uh, and that's fine. And I've tried to. That's why I wanted. Uh, you know, I've been trying to get someone on this show. We do this every single day, and been trying to get someone to come and explain to me what the problem is with the deal but they won't come on and explain it they won't ha- uh, you know face the tough questions because all they want to do is make it murky all they want to do is introduce doubt and that's a cowardly way in my opinion uh to face these issues carlos don't fall for it my friend well, you know, uh, look, you just said that you just said that the religious mullahs and then mm-hmm. the hierarchy in Israel don't want the deal. And sure, that's because they want the war. Well, they want, they want that Messiah to come yep. in and and and, and, and take over. You know, they, yep. they, these people are itching for it. In fact, the religious mullahs have always been part of British intelligence. They are told like how many was a CIA agent. People don't know this. Uh, and uh, a lot of those people from Iran are secretly working for British, American, Israeli, and they're under their influence. Thank you, Carlos. You know, this is historic. I, I appreciate that. Uh, and thanks for that call. Desi, make a note of that. We have to remove that from the program so nobody hears about uh, about his secret work with the uh, with the uh, CIA and the British government. All right, let me get to uh, Bill in. Here we go. Bill in Lake Elsinore. Uh, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. But uh, to say that a edited, scripted softball interview is rigged, um, how, how would you go about that? But the proof that the auction, so-called election, is rigged with a gruesome figure like Donnie Airhat being given any time at all. Bill, I have no idea what you just said. Uh, a rigged, uh, a rigged debate. It's it's a softball interview. Uh, oh, oh, I see. The, the the debates that we hold, the things that we call debates in this country, are little more than uh, than softball interviews, is what correct, you're trying to correct. say. Gotcha. Okay. But yeah. What is rigged is the um, auction system that we call elections. The auction system. Yeah, it's it's an auction. It's not an election. All right. Fair enough. Although, although uh, the high bidder right now is Hillary Clinton and uh, Bernie Sanders is uh, so far cleaning her clock, at least in uh, in New Hampshire and almost cleaning her clock. We'll see uh, in Iowa as well. All right. Let me uh, let's go to uh, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. Let's go to uh, Stephen in Los Angeles. Hey, Stephen, welcome to the broadcast. What is on your mind, sir? Yeah, I just want to say uh, one thing. Yeah. I was just wanting to, I'm listening to your show. You're doing a great job. I really appreciate uh, your, you know, your input and everything. But, but? I want to say that, <laughs> that the, what's going on right now with the woman... Uh-huh. In, in, in Kentucky, the Kentucky County Clerk? Yes, the Kentucky County Clerk. Yeah. You know, she's standing up, obviously, what she believes in, but I think it's a bigger issue. Even though the Supreme Court did try to, you know, they passed this law that it's all legal for, you know, for homosexual or uh, lesbians to get married, is it still the right thing for the nation? And I'm going to say that no, it's not. Why? Because 
the people that were arguing with the county clerk, the guy was saying, hey, why are you denying me a right that you yourself are allowed to have? And But the point is, is that, you know, as a nation, we're raising our own children. Uh-huh. To raise children, you know, with the two guys or two girls, to me, it's just totally unfair to an innocent. Well, it's not unfair. And actually, I'd love to have you on to have this uh, debate for longer, Stephen, but your phone is really terrible. Um, So I'm going to have to let you go. But let me say this. you know, the, these questions were all had throughout the process, throughout the, 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 the court cases around the country leading up to the uh, Supreme Court declaration that, yes, marriage equality is, in fact, a fundamental right. But those arguments uh, were all had and there was absolutely no evidence presented by the people who took your side that somehow children were uh, worse off if they were uh, uh, brought up by same-sex couples. None. No evidence. They just could not find it. Period. So the data actually uh, supports the opposite of that. Um, So, you know, you are welcome to your opinion. Uh, And by the way, so is uh, Rowan County Clerk uh, Kim Davis welcome to her opinion. But as a public official, she has, uh, you know, taken an oath— to uh, to to defend and to serve the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, the state, uh, the Constitution of the state of Kentucky and all of their laws. She is not allowed to pick and choose. You're welcome to your opinion. So is she. But here was a Joe Dunman on this show on the broadcast yesterday. He's the uh, the attorney representing uh, two straight couples and two gay couples in Kentucky who are trying in uh, Rowan County, Kentucky, who are continuously trying to get their license to get married, uh, which they are, requ- which uh, Kim Davis is now required to give them. This has gone all the way up to the Supreme Court. She must give these licenses, but she is not doing so. I asked Joe Dunman, uh, their attorney, you know, why? What is this about? Is she required to perform an actual ceremony or something like that? Here was Joe Dunman's response yesterday. She's not. Re- she's not obligated to solemnize a marriage at all. Um, you know, the only thing she has to do is stamp her name on the documents that are filed uh, with the state. In her argument so far, she claims that, that putting her name on it, uh, she is authorizing and blessing those marriages. Uh, and Judge Bunning disagreed and said, look, you're just certifying that they meet the legal standards, that they're eligible for marriage licenses. That's all you're doing. You're not blessing anything. Um, and, you know, for that reason, there's, she doesn't have a religious objection. Uh, not to mention that, that, you know, there's no case law to support the idea that public officials have religious rights that trump the civil rights of other people. I mean, extending her logic outward, I mean, there's really no end to what a public official could do. I mean, all they have to do is claim that they sincerely believe something and they just do it. I want people to imagine a Muslim clerk in Kentucky denying licenses to Christian couples as they walk in the door um, and and whether or not people would be standing up for religious freedom. I mean, it's just you put that kind of power in the hands of public officials and then, you know, the, the equal protection clause of the 14th Amendment just stops meaning anything. That was Joe Dunman, the attorney for those couples, suing uh, Rowan County, Kentucky clerk Kim Davis uh, to force her to do her job. And now she may be uh, held in contempt by the court. She could be fined. She could be sent to jail, uh, all in the uh, hopes of obtaining the fundamental right that the courts have now uh, found is due these couples in all 50 
states. All right. Uh, we got to take a quick break. Uh, well, do we have some more time for calls when we come back? We will see. It's going to be tight. Hang on the line if you're there. Uh, if you want to hear that entire interview, by the way, uh, for, with Joe Dunman, go to bradblog.com, go to kpfk.org, or go on over to iTunes, uh, where you can always download every Bradcast. And while you're there, give us a good review. It makes it a little bit easier for other people to find the Bradcast as well. I'm Brad Friedman. We'll, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be, we'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Stopping the world, melting for Desi Doyen out here in Los Angeles at the uh, live from the Pacifica Radio Studios in L.A. This is your broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Desi Doyen joins me right now as the heat has somewhat finally broken. Out yes, here in hooray! Los Angeles. Yes, hooray! Just in time for the holiday weekend, which cannot come soon enough. Speaking of uh, coming soon enough, are you ready? It's time for our latest. <laughs> Sorry. I'm well, I know. Late. We have I'm no late. time. So right, we got no it's time. all great. Go to greennews.bradblog.com. Our, our latest Green News report. <laughs> we are not moving fast enough. President Obama makes powerful case for climate action on the edge of the melting Arctic. Amazing. At one point, we had three hurricane, four category hurricanes in the Pacific. 2015 hurricane season has now entered weird record-breaking territory. Huge news for electric cars. Plus... The guy saw that mountain when he was one of the first up there and named it after the president. No reason to change it. Right-wingers apoplectic over renaming of nation's tallest mountain. (laughs) All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment you said oh bill maher he's gonna drag me through the mud yeah first of all you're in california it hasn't rained in four years there's there's no mud yeah it's true there's no mud here in california none zero this is your green news report Okay, Desi Doyen, you seem to be quite moved by the president's uh, speech up in the Arctic. Yeah, it was a very, very powerful speech, and I highly recommend listening to it. He was at the Glacier Conference in Alaska. He called for urgent and aggressive global action on climate change. The Arctic is warming twice as fast as the rest of the planet. And with that background of melting glaciers and melting permafrost, Obama emphasized the need to act quickly or suffer the consequences. The Arctic is the leading edge of climate change. It is happening here. It is happening now. And climate change is a trend that affects all trends. Economic trends, security trends, everything will be impacted. And he was blunt about the consequences of continuing business as usual. The fact is that climate is changing faster than our efforts to address it. We are not moving fast enough. If we were to abandon our course of action, if we stopped trying to build a clean energy economy 
and reduce carbon pollution, if we do nothing to keep glaciers from melting faster and oceans from rising faster and forests from burning faster and storms from growing stronger, we will condemn our children to a planet beyond their capacity to repair. The Glacier Conference coincides with the United States taking its turn as leader of the Arctic Council. That's made up of all eight countries that have territory in the Arctic, including Russia, which is now asserting even more territorial rights. Here in the U.S., environmental groups have called hypocrisy on Obama's approval of offshore oil drilling in the fragile Arctic, which will release even more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Did the president speak to that apparent contradiction, uh, decrying climate change? even after he's approved drilling in the otherwise pristine Arctic? No, but Obama administration officials have previously said that their focus is to balance the needs of competing stakeholders, and we still need that oil, so that justifies drilling. Okay. Right-wing media, meanwhile, are apoplectic over Obama's announcement to restore the original Native American name (laughs) to the nation's tallest mountain. Mount McKinley, named for early 20th century President William McKinley, who never actually visited it was named by a gold prospector, a white guy. McKinley died in office a short time later. Now the mountain will be called what it has been called for thousands of years, Denali. It's hysterical because Alaska is completely in favor of this. The only ones who seem to be furious about it are the right-wingers and the folks from Ohio, including Republican Senator Rob Portman, who said the mountain was named for President McKinley out of respect following his assassination. Newsflash for Republican U.S. Senator from Ohio, Rob Portman. The mountain was named Mount McKinley years before McKinley was killed. Meanwhile, for the first time in recorded history, on Saturday, there were a record three simultaneous typhoons, all Category 4, churning in the eastern and central Pacific Ocean. Just to keep that in perspective, until this year, there had been only three hurricanes total in that region since 1950. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration announced that the Pacific Ocean is currently warmer than it has ever been in recorded history. And over in the Atlantic Ocean, newly formed Hurricane Fred is the farthest east a hurricane has ever formed off the coast of Africa. And it has generated the first ever hurricane warning for the Cape Verde Islands. The first ever in history. Finally, big news for the car industry. Electric car maker Tesla has again achieved the highest possible rating from Consumer Reports, 103 on a 100-point scale, the only car ever to do so. And BMW has announced that it is going all electric. Within 10 years, it will build only electric plug-in hybrid cars, converting its entire fleet in anticipation of stricter carbon emissions laws as the world transitions to clean energy. Every BMW will be electric or hybrid in one way or another. Yep. In 10 years. Yep, it's happening. It's happening. For much more on all of these stories today and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. It is happening here. It is happening now. Right here, right now, 
every BMW will be electric. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't believe it has taken this long. I know. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer, and eventually all cars will go that way. But I did want to mention really quick, yeah. uh, the California state legislature has done a big deal. They voted to require the state employee pension funds to divest from coal companies. The state employee pension funds control $400 billion worth of assets. $400 billion. Now, the, pre- the, the, be- the governor has not signed it yet, but it looks like he will. $400 billion will be divested from coal. Whatever portion is in coal in will be divested, yes. So it's the, it's a big deal in the divestment movement to get companies to stop investing in fossil fuel industry funds. That is rather huge news breaking today. Comes in before we, uh, after, uh, too late to make it yeah, into our Green make it News into report. Today's. So thank you for doing that. I'm sure we will pick that up uh, in our next Green News report. Maybe. After the holidays, we will see. Oh, I need a break. Uh, speaking of uh, break, Nicole Sandler of Radio or Not will be in for me uh, tomorrow for the next day or two while we do take a quick break. My thanks today to Desi Doyen, our producer, as ever, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, to G, our soundboard operator, and, of course, to uh, my guest and friend, Ernie, Ernest A. Canning, Brad, Brad Blog legal analyst. My thanks to you for listening and to all of our callers out there today. You can reach me anytime. My email is bradcast at bradblog.com. If you missed any portion of the program, download it at bradblog.com. You can also find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.